Romans chapter 15. How many have grown to love the Bible? Isn't it an amazing book? It's one of the most unfathomable books. You can can study and learn something from some passage and then learn something so totally new and fresh. It just blows you away. At least it does me. Now, if you'll look in your Bible and find Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, I'll show you something about your Bible. The Bible says this, For whatsoever things, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our what? So the things that were written in the Old Testament were written to be learned from, right? They're not just stories. They are lessons. It says they were written for our learning. And not just so that we would become intellectual or not so that we would just become Bible scholars. That's not the purpose of your Bible. That we look through, what's the next word? Talk to me now. What is it? There's going to be a long meeting unless I hear some voices here. That we through... Patience, and I love the next verse, and comfort of the scriptures might have what? So our Old Testament was written so that we could be comforted, so that we could have a hope as we patiently wait for the same God to help us like he did in the Old Testament, amen? So don't throw away the Old Testament. Don't miss, miss all the tremendous lessons to be learned there. And I want to teach you something from a very... Um, very well-known uh, portion of Scripture. If you'll take your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know the, uh, the Scripture. You know the Bible lesson, the Bible story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You've got a little boy. I say a little boy. He's probably around 17, 18 years old. You have a giant. What's his name? Goliath, isn't it? Right. And these two meet up, and it's one of those those tremendous battles in the Bible where only God could have done such a thing. But in there, I want to teach you about your missionaries. I want to teach you something wonderful about being a missionary because I believe the Bible is a missionary handbook. It's all about missions, isn't it? Our God became a man, and when he became a man, he became the first missionary, didn't he? He left his home, came to a foreign country, to win some people to God. Amen? Try to win the whole world to God. So he, his whole Bible is about missions. Now, if you'll bow with me, we'll ask God to bless this great truth. Father, please help us to learn the value of the missionaries that are supported by this church that are all over the world, God. And I know this church is a praying church. I am blessed knowing Brother Montoro and his family and the Lord, just the testimony they have of the effort that they put out in the building, but I know also the effort they put out in praying. And I know they love their missionaries, but maybe, maybe I can help them so that they love them just a little bit more, so that they value them just a little more. They're not just people. That's a, that is a, is a name and, and associated with a place somewhere out there, but they're vital to the survival of this church and to the survival of the nation in which they are. Lord, I pray that you just meet with us and teach us from your word tonight, and that you'd help so that every person in this room is encouraged, taught, and blessed, especially that soul who has put on a show, who is on the wrong side, and has never yet been born again. They're trusting that, well, they're doing okay, and they don't really need to do anything when... Jesus is the one. It's not us, but Jesus is the one that said, you must be born again. Doesn't matter what you were born the first time, you must be born again a Christian now. You've got to believe, repent, and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So help every one of us, Lord, draw closer to you and allow you to change us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. By way of background, let's just read 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, and I want to show you a battle show you a war that was going on. It was a continuing war. These, these, you read in the Old Testament, lots of wars were going on. And isn't that true in your life, by the way? Does it ever end? Do you ever have this idea that, okay, now I'm not going to have any more troubles? No, you know there's another one coming around the bend, don't you? So here in our Bible, we're going to learn, verse 1, now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Choco and Azekah in Ephesdamon. 
And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they pitched in the valley of Elah. And they set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. You have a classic battle scenario. The Philistines have gathered, we don't know how many, but usually they would gather 100,000. Remember, they didn't have, they didn't have uh, um, uh, snipers, and they didn't have um, uh, cannons, and they didn't have tanks, they didn't have airplanes. They did hand-to-hand -hand combat. So that you just threw as many men as you could, and there'd be 100,000 along the ridges of these hills over here. And along the other side, Israel would mount up their army and would line them up on the mountain, and between them was a valley. And they waited until somebody made a move and started to head toward the valley. Then they would start to head. It's kind of like the old westerns, you know, where their hands are twitching, you know. The first one to move, the other one gets to shoot. And so they're both waiting for somebody to make a move. Now, there's a very important war going on. And, and in your Bible, when it talks about battles, it talks about warfare, you know that these things are not just about men and fields and, uh, and, and swords and shields. These are spiritual truths for us today. The things that were written were written for whose learning? Do you remember what the verse said? For our learning. So do you know there is a battle going on today that is, that is more deadly than World War I, than World War II, more deadly than the Hundred Years' War, or the Thirty Years' War, or the, all the wars that led up to the Reformation, or the Dark Ages, more important than Vietnam, and, more, and, and if you added up all of those wars, those wars are not as devastating as the war that we're in, and we're in a war for souls, because countless Countless souls are being lost in this war that we're in. And the, the death toll, World War II had somewhere around 60 million people dead. 60 million. I can't fathom that. When they dropped those, those men on Normandy Beach and the tens of thousands that were killed within the first hour is unfathomable to me. I've never seen anything like that. But that is nothing compared to the number of people who are dropping off into hell as we speak. Amen? Do you understand what kind of war we're in? There is a battle going on. I want to say, first of all, there is a very important war going on. Secondly, I want to say the world seems to be winning. Would you agree with me? The world seems to be winning. There in verse 4, keep going. And there went out a champion. Notice he had this this. Um, uh, testimony. He had this um, uh, uh, already. He was known as a champion out of the camp of the Philistines, named, and we know his name was Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He would have to bow his head to come into this door. We were in a, uh, we were somewhere, and it said height 11 feet. And Joshua says, It's pretty high. I said, Goliath was as big as that. 11 feet, 12 feet. He may have even been 13 feet tall. This guy is massive. He had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, not email, by the way. When they say coat of mail, it was this wire mesh, and look how heavy it was. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. This is if you sewed on 5,000 coins onto a jacket. There's not a man in this room who could have picked up his coat. Verse, verse 6, he had greaves of brass upon his legs a target of brass between his shoulders, and, a sta and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. No man in this room, nobody in this room, there'd have to take, it'd take five or six of you to pick up his, his spear. This was a huge guy. And there was one guy, there was a man bearing a shield went before him. He stood and he cried. Now, just before, this guy is what you call dressed for success. Would you agree with me? He intends to win. He is ready. He's a walking, talking tank. Amen. Nobody could defeat this guy. Verse, seven and his, and verse 8, and he stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Why are you, why are you so organized? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me, <laughs> I love that. It's in the original. <laughs> and kill me, then will we be your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. I stick my tongue out at you. I mock you. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now look at verse 11. This is key. Circle verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard the, those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were what? Greatly afraid. So remember, you've got 100,000 men up here, the, 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 the Israeli army, and they've got another 100,000 men of the Philistines. They're facing off each other. But when this guy Goliath comes down and yells at them and tells them, come fight me, they get terrified, don't they? You know, when the, when the world starts talking and starts slinging around all of its money and starts talking all the intellectual evolution, what we call rubbish, where, I, where we're over in Ireland, and they, start, and they start showing off all of their fancy graphics and all of their dreams of what, how we've evolved, and they show off all of their intelligence, sometimes Christians get a little scared. Oh, I don't know how to answer that. I don't know how to answer that. And, and sometimes we see the world just race ahead on its own plan, and it scares God's people sometimes. Because the world is very powerful, isn't it? Listen, the world seems to have all the advantages. The champions, they've got the Einsteins. They seem to have the money. They seem to have the, the smart folks and, the, and all of the, 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 the writers and, the, and the, the movie stars and everything. And if you just looked at the surface of this battle, you think, we're goners. You know, you know it's important to understand you know the difference between the world and the Christian? For the most part, they have the will to win. And a lot of Christians don't. This guy is ready to fight. Would you agree with me? But I want to teach you something. Let's just divert for a second. Do you see what the devil did? This is free, all right? The rest I'll charge you for. You've got 100,000 men, the Philistines. You've got 100,000 men, the Jews. It's pretty good odds, amen? Because... God's people don't lose. We are more than conquerors. So what does the devil do? He sends out one guy to divert their attention and make them think that he is their nightmare. Doesn't he? He has got their attention off of fighting the real enemy and now they, he's got them thinking about them fighting him. And you know what? All they need is about 50 of those guys to just run down there and wipe them off the map. Amen? But they got scared. And we've got to be careful that we don't let our economic problem, let our situation in this day and age, let, let the change in economy, the change in government, listen, change in this world, troubles in this world, problems, family situations are Goliaths. Are you listening? Health problems, when they come up, they are not the battle we're to fight. Our fight is for souls. Do you understand? And the devil would like to give you something to take your attention off of why this church is here. Are you listening to me? Because too often, we'll let a Goliath get our attention. You know what a Goliath is? A Goliath is a project or a problem that goes wrong. And all of a sudden, everybody starts pointing fingers at each other. Amen? That's never happened in your life, I'm sure. Oh, yes, it has. And God says, don't let the Goliath divert your attention. That army should have just marched, just, just ran down to that into that valley, that Goliath would have run for his life, wouldn't he? Are you with me? All right. So don't lose sight of what the devil was trying to do. Now, <clears throat> what am I getting at? Where are we going with this? I want to show you something about these men up here on the Jewish side, on the Israel side, because these are special people. There is a battle going on, and you support... 60, what did you say, brother? 63 missionaries. I want to talk to you about how special and how precious and how valuable those families are. First of all, run down to verse 9. Chapter 17. I do, well, let me run down. Where did I stop off? Verse 12. Here, verse 12. Now, David. All right? Isn't it wonderful how God just sort of, he's describing, everybody's terrified. Saul, King Saul is sitting there. His knees are knocking together. He's so afraid. In verse 12, now David. <laughs> he was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. 
And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. If you're taking notes, I want to just show you three or four things about how valuable your missionaries are. First of all, their value is in who they are. Did you notice? God goes ahead and names some of the guys that are up there on that ridge, doesn't he? He, called, he says, one of them was Eliab's oldest son, named Eliab. Jesse's oldest son, sorry. Then his next son, Shammah, and then the other son, I can't remember his other name. Um, uh, so you got Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. And I want you to understand, those guys are a picture of missionaries. You're going to get this in just a minute because it's absolutely wonderful. Listen, we make fun of, of, of these guys. When we read the story, we think about those men up on that ridge. Again, I'm so, on, on your left, I'm showing you the ridge with God's people and their army there getting ready to fight against the devil's crowd. And on that side, thank God for men who went to the battle. Do you understand? They are terrified. They're from real homes. They have real lives that they have set aside to get into the fight. Do you understand? And they are valuable because of who they are. They're real people. When you are supporting missionaries, you're supporting people who are just like the people sitting next to you. Do you understand? And they are valuable because they're not, they don't walk around with a big S on their chest. Do you understand? They bleed. They hurt. They, they go through troubles just like you and I. Missionaries are valuable because of who they are. Thank God for people who do go to the battle. They are, listen, your missionaries, they don't carry weapons. They don't carry battle plans and, and try to take on, on Iraqis and, and Taliban. They are, however, in a spiritual fight, aren't they? They are in a spiritual war. And I, I am a missionary, and I can tell you, it is just as deadly as a real war. So don't you think that missionaries are over there, oh, they're having a good time, oh, they're all on, on vacation. It is a spiritual army in a spiritual war. Hey, they do real things. They work real jobs. You know what David did? What was David doing? It says back there in verse, verse 14, and David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. What was David doing when he was with his daddy? He was keeping sheep. His brothers probably had lots of, of animals and, and, and had lots of, of uh, crops and things. They were real people. They just answered God's call to fight the good fight. Amen. Have you answered the call? You said, um, when was, when was uh, visitation? Was that Saturday? Amen. You just heard God's call for you on Saturday. If you're not working, if you're not in the hospital, you know where you're supposed to be? Right here. It's God's call. You see, these guys, they didn't sort of just go, well, you know, I'm kind of busy, you know, and, 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 and i got to go shopping so I can't be up there on the ridge getting ready to fight against Philistines. No, they answered God's call because the fight was that important. Do you understand? The missionaries, when they go to their field, they're answering God's call to fight. Secondly, their value is not only in who they are, their value is in what they do. There's sort of three simple things that, that missionaries do. Look there in um, verse uh, 17. I'll start at verse 15. But David went and he returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. And Jesse said to David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren. Carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Verse 19 is the key verse. Now Saul and, all, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah. What were they doing? What were they doing? They're fighting. They're fighting with the Philistines. That's what they came for. Now really, we know they haven't gotten into the big fight yet, but they are ready. They have gone to that ridge they have looked into that valley in their mind they have played it over and over they are they are in the fight already and that's very listen what do missionaries do just like these guys they fight do you know every soul that's ever been saved and you're going to see some of them here in just a few minutes or is it, is it going to work you think all right well i'm not quite finished yet don't interrupt my message yet but every one of the souls you're going to meet that have gotten saved in ireland 
was a fight. Do you understand what I'm saying? I didn't have anybody come to my door and go, Mr. Ledbetter, I know I'm going to hell. I need to get saved. Would you tell me right now? Not one of them ever did that. They didn't roll out the red carpet when I arrived in Ireland. They weren't looking for me to come. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was a spiritual fight, a toing and froing over truth versus confusion, over what's it going to cost versus what Christ is worth. Do you understand? Just like it was for you. Do you remember? It wasn't easy for any of us. It was always a miracle. Amen. So in this thing, those men had gone there to fight. And every one of your missionaries are in the fight. They're there striving, striving for the battle. They fight for something. And you fight for them too. Hey, some kid starts bullying your kid, you're ready to fight. Amen. <laughs> Amen. They start teaching wrong things to your kids. You stand up in the, in the school system. You stand up and you say, that's not going to be taught to my kids. There's some things worth fighting for, aren't there? All right, now you understand. In a small way, we've got to see that what we do as a church and what the missionaries do worldwide is they fight. We're not pacifists where we just let everything happen. We're not, we don't go around with big clubs and go break windows. You understand what I'm saying? But we fight in the place of prayer. We fight on the, in the battlefield of truth. When people say the Bible is, is outdated, when people say the Bible doesn't... doesn't it's not true anymore and all that stuff. We stand up and says, let me show you it's true. It not only worked back then, it works today. I can prove it that it's the Word of God. The prophecies prove it, but my life change proves it. Their values and what they do. You know what the second thing they do? They stand. I appreciate when missionaries go to the, mar uh, go to the mission field and they just stay there, amen. Now, this is not a brag, but when I went to Ireland, I didn't know if I'd ever come back. I told you, when we were in New Jersey, we lost all sense of homesickness. <laughs> so when we went to Ireland, we were glad. We weren't planning on coming back. It just wasn't, it's just not in us. Fifteen years. It's not, it's not been a long, drawn-out thing. We're glad to be back. It's not a problem with us. God's will was for us to come back for these four months for the furlough. But you know, when you send your missionaries over to a foreign field, they need to go and they need to stand. Because in this day and age, nobody's standing, amen. Up here in the Northeast, I heard a, a, a terrible, terrible thing. Just, I was at a meeting just this, this week. And these past few years, a thousand churches close every year here in the Northeast. A thousand non-Catholic churches are closing every year here in the Northeast. That's terrifying. We need some to stay, man. We need, we need every Christian, not just... Not just being in church, but growing and saying, I want this church where my grandkids are getting married here, amen? That's what our burden ought to be, to stay. And the third thing they do is they shine. Do you know a lot of, uh, around the majority of the world, most people don't know what a Christian is. Never met one. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. The what? He's talking to a few fishermen. He says, you're the light of the world. When it is so dark, one little light can bring a lot of light, can't it? And we've got to understand, when you're sending those missionaries, you need to keep them encouraged so that they keep shining, amen, because they've never seen a family that doesn't, is not at each other's throats every other day, amen. They've never seen where mom and dad stay in love with one another. They've never seen a, a, a Christian family. They've never seen a Christian church. They've never seen so many different People get together and not want to kill each other, amen. Do you understand? Missions and, and your missionaries are shining. Their value is in what they do. Third, their value is in what they face. How many, time, how many days has, has Goliath come down into that valley? Talk to me. How many days? Go back there in verse 15. I'm sorry, verse uh, 16. It says, the Philistine, he drew morning, drew near morning and evening, and he presented himself how many days? So this has been going on for how long? 40 days. You ever had a problem just stay with you? You know, that's why none of us like health problems. Because when it just drags on and on, it gets to us, doesn't it? Scary. Well, the devil's trying to wear them down and wear them down and wear them down. I want you to understand, missionaries face sometimes problems you've never imagined. And they face them long term. When you step outside of America, I know Queens, 
This is not the Bible Belt. I know. you. Where's Brother Coy? I don't, I don't see him right now. Um, is he downstairs? All right. Well, I saw this guy walking down the street. I was about 100 yards down the road. I was getting some out of my car. I see this guy walking down the road with a Bible. I went, hey! <laughs> I scared him. I know we're in New York. I know. <laughs> and I said, where are you going? He said, to church. I said, I just wanted to hear that. I'm Craig Levin. I'm uh, Coy. What's his last name? I'm terrible. Huh? Shaw. Shaw. That's right. And I, I just love to meet somebody who's carrying a Bible openly. He walk into church with his Bible. I was so proud of that. That was so... But you see, that is rare. Would you agree? Except for you guys, there's nobody going to be walking the street with a smile and a Bible under their arm. Amen? Walking hand in hand with their wife. Amen? Here you are in this, in this thing. You've got to understand, when you step out of America, there is a special thing over America that when you just even go to Canada, it's gone. You go to Mexico, it's gone. You go to Europe, there's a darkness there. There is a danger. There is demonic attack like you've never imagined. And you need to start to realize when those missionaries head off into some place and they're in some place and it's not America. And America is not the greatest place to be either. But I want you to understand, they're in real danger. Because does the Bible read it this way? The devil, be, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking who he may, what? He doesn't nibble on anybody. He chews them up, doesn't he? The value is in, the, 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 in what they face. They face real dangers. They face consistent dangers. They face discouragement. You know what? Look out at verse 28. I love this because this goes on in homes all the time. Verse 28, Eliab, his elder, elder brother, heard when, he, when, when David was speaking unto the men. And Eliab, remember, Eliab is David's older brother. David has come down to the camp. We'll go back to those verses in just a second. But look at this. Eliab's anger was kindled against his younger brother. Aren't your older brothers, doesn't the Bible say that a brother was born not to give you adversity? Do you remember that? It says it born for your trouble, born there to be a help. But Eliab was not being a blessing that day. His anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I mean, he's so demeaning. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Well, that's obvious. Of course he came down kind of to see the battle. But he came because his daddy told him. But look at verse 29. Verse 29 is a classic teenage response. Look, look. And David said, what have I now done? <laughs> Your Bible's the most modern, up-to-date book. Don't you tell me this is an ancient book. Every what have I done now? Amen. I love it. Amen. Is there not a cause? Hey, you know where David got grief? David got grief from his own brother. You know, missionaries get grief sometimes even from other missionaries. They have troubles even from their own families. Listen, I want you to understand, missionaries are real. They're valuable in, in who they are. They're valuable in what they do. They're valuable in what they face. They face the same things you and I face, amen? But their value, and this is the message, and I'll be through very quickly, is in what they need. I love this. This is the key. Look back in verse 17. It says this, Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah, that's a small, uh, like a basket of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now again, I'm trying to paint you a picture that in this story are missionaries. These guys on that ridge there are there for a fight just like your missionaries. And the first thing I need you to see when it came time and, and, and uh, Il, um, Jesse says to his son, take this corn and this cheese and I want you to go and take them to your, to your brothers. Listen, the first thing that every missionary needs is to be sent. David didn't say, Dad, I want to go see my brothers. Do you see that? They needed to be sent. Do you know what's happening? What was David doing for his daddy already? What was David busy doing? What was his job around the house? What was it? Taking care of sheep. You know what God does? You know what? How many of you are involved in, in teaching Sunday school? Are there any Sunday school teachers in here? Got a couple of you. Amen. You know what you're doing? You're taking care of sheep. You already are a David. Amen. How many help out with the, with the nursery? Anybody helping out with the nursery? Amen. You're taking care of some very important people, aren't you? 
your sheep keepers. How many of you help out with the music? Any of you sing? Anybody in here? A couple of you. You're too embarrassed to raise your hands. I know, I know, I know. You know what you're doing? When you're singing up here, when you're playing that piano, you're ministering to the sheep, aren't you? Amen? And it's from those people. It's not from some of you, and I'm pointing at this girl over here, but <laughs> it's not from, from those of you who are just sitting there in the same chair, same pew. I was warned, um, uh, uh, Brother Pete's uh, son over here said, you know, don't make anybody mad by sitting in their chair, you know. And I said, oh, yeah, I forgot. People get upset because you might move them. You know, listen to me. God calls and moves people who are sheep keepers, amen? And this David was being sent, amen? And we've got to realize nobody's going to go to Canada or to Ireland or to Finland or to Congo or to Venezuela unless there's preaching that says, who's going to go? This world is lost. Will you go? Will you give up what you call current? Well, I'm too, I'm, I'm too entrenched. I've got too many things going on. I don't know what it's going to cost you, but will you be willing? Because churches still send out missionaries, amen. The first need is for us not to just sit and wait for God to just, you know, you know sometimes we all kind of, we all wish that God would sort of just reach down and pick us up like a cat does its kittens, amen. Don't we sometimes wish that? We kind of wait for a ooey-gooey feeling like the old Fig Newton. We, we, we want God to just, oh, I now know I'm called. That's not how it works. It works when, when faithfully and consistently the challenge is out, the fight is on, who will sign up? Amen. That's why you have missionaries come and preach so that you know, hey, wait, the battle's still on. Somebody's going to go. Will you go? First thing the missionaries need to be sent. They need to know that somebody is saying, I will back you. Second thing that missionaries need is to be supported, to supply what they will need to get their job done. Hey, we read it. He didn't just say, hey, David, go check on your brothers. You know what he said? Here's some food. Amen. You know, missionaries like to eat too. Did you know that? Got to maintain perfect figures. Amen. <laughs> Do you understand? Missionaries need to be supported. Do you understand that? Some of you are still laughing. Stop it. Here, they, these guys were getting corn and bread and cheese. Not a bad diet, amen. But we've got to support our troops with what they need to succeed in their battles. We need to, listen, if you've got missionaries, you know what you need to do? You need to support them financially. Everybody in this church needs to be supporting them financially. Not just a few of you. Every one of you do. You know what? You know what? It, uh, Jesse here has got three of his boys on that front line. He's got three that he's, that he's worried about, he's concerned about, and he says, I've got to make sure they've got enough food. Amen. Amen. You need to be caring enough. Hey, listen, is it true? Salvation is free. How many believe salvation is free? Amen. You believe that? Everything else costs. <laughs> Everything else costs. Amen. It costs money to send missionaries and to keep them on the field. Secondly, I believe Jesse was praying for his boys every single day. You need to pray for your missionaries every day. I don't care if you pray for one a day, but you need to pray for them faithfully. Amen. You need, your pastor needs to know that you're praying for your missionaries. Third, you need, to, you need to support them consistently. You know, some people do. They go, oh, I'll get involved. I'll, I'll start supporting missionaries. And three weeks later, it's gone. How would you like to get paid like that? Hmm? Your boss says, oh, I can't wait to hire you. Come on in. I'll start. And two weeks later, you don't get a paycheck. How'd you like that? I want you to understand, missionaries go, they don't go because they're paid, they go because they're called. But I want you to understand, it's nice when you do get paid, amen? So be consistent. They need to be supported. Third, this is wonderful. Look there again in verse 18. He says, carry these ten cheeses under the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare. You know, the third thing, missionaries, first of all, they need to be sent. Secondly, they need to be supported. Third, they need to be seen. You know what I like? I like visitors. I'd even like a visitor from New York. Missionaries need to be seen. You need to come to the mission field. You know, you've got 63 missionaries. You know what that means? You've got 63 vacation hotspots you can go to anytime you want. Amen. 
You're saying, oh, is there one in the Bahamas? Amen. <laughs> if there is, go visit them. Amen. But I think Ireland's much better, but I'll talk to you later about that. They need to be seen. David went to go see how his brothers were doing. Missionaries need to be visited and fellowship with. We get very few, uh, few visitors. A lot of people, I'm glad they go to Philippines, they go to Mexico, they go to Canada. Hey, I'm, I'm glad for that. There are a lot of other missionaries who may never get a visitor. And you could be such an encouragement to them. If you're saying, I don't know what to do next year. We're going to save up all year. We're going to go on a, on a vacation. But maybe we could go visit a missionary. Why don't you go Peru somewhere, man? Go visit a missionary. They need to be seen. They need that. Just like you like it when somebody just calls over and says, I just want to come over and have a cup of coffee with you. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. Fourthly, they need to be stirred up. This is absolutely, it just gets better and better and better. As we say down south, gooder and gooder. Look down there in verse 22. And David, again, I'm going back, and, and now David has arrived at the, at, at the camp where his brothers are in that, in that huge group of men. David left his carriage, his bags, in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and he ran into the army, and he came and he saluted his brethren. I love it. He's hugging his brothers and saying, hey, guys, how's it going? And he talked with them. Behold, there came up to the champ there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And this time, guess who's hears who's hearing da Goliath this time? David. This is the first time David hears it. So David's up there and he's hugging his brothers and hey guys, how you doing? Hey George, hey Larry, how's this? How's it going? And and he sees Goliath marching down, coming down that hill and coming to the middle of that valley with that huge, booming voice crying out up there, send me out a man. Look what David says. Look at verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they what? What'd they do? These were soldiers. These were killers, guys. And yet they fled from Goliath and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, David, have you seen this guy? Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth and the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free of taxes in Israel. I love this. David says, David spake to the men that stood by him saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? You mean you're going to get paid to kill this guy? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Now watch, verse 27. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. You know what David's doing? When I've got David. David's this guy who's just visiting. He's just visiting with the other guys, isn't he? And you know what he's doing? He gets to talking and he says, Who is this guy? And he says, He's, 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 he's death. He's killer. He's the... He's a terminator. He's disaster. He'll kill us all. And David says, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. This guy's not worth even worrying about. You know what David starts to do? He starts to give them some courage. He starts to encourage and stir up those men. It gets Eliab angry and jealous because Eliab was a leader and his men were terrified. And here's his little kid brother encouraging everybody. Now I want you to watch this. Missionaries need sometimes you to stir us up. How could I stir up Brother Ledbetter? How could I stir up Brother So-and-so? How could I? Write us. Tell us what God, how God answered your prayer. Don't you like new Christians? Amen? Is anybody in this room like it when somebody gets saved and they don't know that it's wrong to sing loud? And it's, they don't know that it's wrong to sit up front? Huh? And it sort of makes the rest of us kind of uncomfortable because they're singing to the top of their lungs and they're all off key and they're up there making a, making a fool of themselves and they're up front and you feel embarrassed and it stirs you up and says, man, I must be backslid. Amen. Aren't they wonderful? New Christians really rub us good. Amen. And David was stirring up and it's nice when, when God answers your prayer or does something wonderful and you just write to a missionary and he says, God is still there. Amen? Amen. Do you understand? Maybe Brother Pete preaches a, a great message probably every week and you say, Brother, give me a copy of that thing. I'm going to send that Brother Ledbetter. It skinned me alive. I bet it'll skin him good too. Amen. I need that. Do you understand? 
If a message really works you over and really makes a change in your life and in your home, I'd like to hear it. Do you understand? I need to be stirred up. Your missionaries, you say, you know, I haven't talked to that missionary in Japan. I bet they're discouraged. Stir them up, amen? David stirred up those guys. And this is wild. The last is the best. You know the story, and I'll finish here. David's come, and he's got them talking. You know what he says? You know what David does? David just went for a visit, didn't he? He went on a holiday, didn't he? But you know, when he sees Goliath down there in the, in the valley, and he sees everybody else kind of hesitating, you know what David does? He says, guys, I guess I got to get busy. And David joins up. I had a guy do this. Seven years ago, a man came over, just a Joe Soap, we say. <clears throat> he, he, he works in, in uh, South Jersey in the naval base. But he took a missions trip. And he came to Ireland. And he got bit. Not by a mosquito. But God got a hold of his heart and he saw the lost. Took him out soul winning. We had a blast. He and his wife, he went, came back home after two weeks and he couldn't get Ireland off his heart couldn't get off his mind. He wrote me, he said, could God use me? And I said, brother, I don't know. And he started to just pray and he said, I don't know what God could do with me. I, said, I don't know either. I don't know what God could do with any of us. But I said, let's just see what God does. And all of a sudden he heard that there were some rumors about early retirement. He'd get like massive, if he had got early retirement, he'd get extra pay because he's got like 10 years left before he retires, at least back seven years ago. <clears throat> And he began to pray, God, if you let me out early, I'll go to Ireland. Do you know what happened just last year? Actually, two years ago, they approached him and said, would you like early retirement? Before they finished the sentence, he f had signed the document. He had been waiting and waiting and waiting. When he came to Ireland and he stirred me up just by coming and encouraged me and my family, he went back ready to come and become reinforcements. He's there now. In Ireland. He and his wife have retired to Ireland and are just helping out with soul winning and with vacation Bible schools. I want to tell you, if you start valuing, valuing your missionaries and start visiting them and checking up on them, I don't care, come to, come to our house and knock on the door and say, ha ha, I came here to check on you. Great, amen, it's fine with me. Because that will encourage me that you care about us. But I got a warning for you, if you come, you may want to stay like David did. Because David, when he ended up there and he got into that fight, he stayed in the fight, didn't he? Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their value, listen, why do the missionaries do all this? Why are they over there? Because of one, one soul is worth it all, isn't it? And Ireland's got four and a half million. And they're not being reached, folks. Europe's got almost, including really going if you include some of the remaining Eastern Bloc, we've got almost 500 million people and they don't have the gospel. We don't, e we don't even have a taste of the Bible Belt there. There's so few churches and so few people reaching. I'm glad for every person that's a missionary in Africa and in Australia, but Europe is lost. I need some folks who will care for your missionaries and make sure they stay on the field and begin to pray about other areas that don't have missionaries. The value of your missionaries. It begins with Christ dying for you. Realize that somebody maybe gave you a gospel track, invited you out to church, and maybe you're not saved. Tonight would be a great night to get saved yourself. Tonight would be an awesome night to get born again. If you're not sure that when you die that you'll go to be with Jesus, not because you're good, but because He has saved your soul, washed away your cleanse because of a transaction you initiated by repenting. If you've never been born again, I invite you. Talk to pastor. Talk to myself. I'll take you all. I'll, I'll talk to you till the cows come home, as we say. Make sure that you understand so that you get born again. Christian, if you're not busy taking care of sheep, if you're not busy in this church, you're missing out on the greatest opportunities because that's where, the, that's where life begins. You say, I can't do much. If you can just take care of some kids in the nursery, Sunday school, helping minister to sheep, you don't, you'll never know how far it'll go. Let's stand, let's bow in prayer. Before we look at the video, before we stop and just check on what God has done in Ireland, maybe God is, every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe God has just encouraged you 
that there's more for you to do. You could be an encouragement. Writing a letter to a missionary, it may be a small thing to you. It could be a huge thing to them, especially if you write to encourage, if you write to challenge, if you write like David to supply a need. You could be a real blessing. Will you be that? Maybe God will put somebody on your heart. Maybe you say, I don't even know the names of my missionaries. Well, good, good. Maybe you'll get that and you'll put it in your Bible and you keep it there. And every morning when you got your coffee, instead of looking at your paper and getting depressed, why don't you look at those missionaries and be encouraged and say, there are soldiers on the front line and I want to pray for them. And I want to see if the Lord will allow me to encourage them. Would you do that? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? This church supports an amazing number of missionaries. But you need not just support them financially. Maybe they need to be visited. Maybe somebody say, you know, I didn't know I could go and make a vacation on the mission field, but you could. Say, Brother Ledbetter, that message spoke to my heart. Would you include me in your prayer here? I'm going to pray in just a minute. I'm going to ask God to bless this church. Would you put your hand up? Somebody put your hand up. Nobody looking around. Say, Brother Ledbetter, God has spoken to my heart. Amen. For missions. Amen. Amen. Father, I... Just ask you, please, may we be stirred for a whole world that's lost. If it starts right here, there's tons of people around here. We can't, we can't care for the world until we're caring right here. I know that. But I pray that we care also about the missionaries, that we value them, and we know that they're real people, and they go through dark times. They face some serious dangers. Some of them get so discouraged they come home. I pray that we would be a part of the, of the encouragement that keeps them on the field. Lord, we love you and we need your blessing on what we're about to see tonight. Bless, Lord, this church and its vision. Multiply its vision for souls, God, because every one of them are worth it. I don't care if it costs me ten times my life. May it be for every soul that can be won in Ireland. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother, for time, you may be seated. Just for time, why don't you show the second one without the testimonies? And thank you all for uh, just the privilege of being able to meet with you. Your pastor, I tell you, this church is a tremendous testimony encouragement to me. I got to tell you, that man works, and I've never known anybody work as hard. Well, I've known a few, and I've hated them because I always had to work with them. Uh, but that man works and works. You know what I like? I mean, this is a testimony of somebody who has put time in. Many of you have worked on this building. But aren't you glad our Lord is a carpenter? Our Lord continues to work on us. And six and a half ton of rubbish you moved. I wonder how much stuff the Lord dumps out of our life a day. Amen. I appreciate your pastor. Is it going to work? Go for it.